Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And you're listening to The Limit Does Not Exist. A podcast for human Venn diagrams. Coming at you every single Monday. And hosted by us. Today, we're talking with Stefan Alexander, a physicist, jazz saxophonist, professor at Brown University, and author of the book, the jazz of physics. Stefan grew up in the Bronx where he graduated from a high school that had a 60% dropout rate and went on to receive his PhD in physics, specializing in string cosmology, all the while performing jazz and learning from greats like Ornette Coleman and Will Calhoun. In fact, Stefan was on his way to perform right after he recorded this episode. Mm -hmm. We talk with Stefan about facing down the please disease, how doing physics in a jazz club led to his most famous string theory calculations and why all scientists should listen to our show. 
I mean, that is what he said, right, Kate? I, I could be paraphrasing just a little bit here. I mean, maybe a little, but he is a big fan of our show, <laughs> which we were so happy to hear, and that is true. We also talk with Stefan about why synthesizing seemingly disparate fields is the way of the future, you guys. Plus, we discuss a concert hall designed by algorithms and the necessity of diversity in the science community. And since Stefan had to leave a bit early to go perform some jazz, we thought we'd bring some jazz to you. Yes, that is totally true. Make sure you stick around to the end. You will not regret it. Let's hit it. Hey, Christina. Hey, Kate. Hey, Stefan. Hi, Christina. Hi, Kate. Hi, Stefan. I'm just going to start by saying I am a huge huge jazz fan. I fell in love with it when I was living in Chicago years ago. Uh, We have a great local station here in LA, K-Jazz, that's playing constantly in my car. So when I was at my local bookstore and stumbled upon your book, The Jazz of Physics, I took a picture of it immediately, texted Christina and said, we have to have Stefan (laughs) on the show. was so, so excited to discover you and your book. We have so much we want to ask you about, but first we have a couple of sort of newsy pieces. Christina, number one, how are, how are you feeling? Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm starting to feel better. Uh, Stefan, you, you missed our raspy voices last week. I've been <laughs> on bed rest all week with walking pneumonia. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I finally made it out of bed on Saturday just in time to go to the Interlochen um, Arts Academy where I went to high school, had a, a chamber music concert at Carnegie Hall, or I guess it was Lincoln Center uh, in New York. And I was like, yes, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to music and then I'm going back to bed. And I went up and I got to music and then I ended up going to more protests. So it wasn't as uh, as well planned. I, I was out all weekend protesting, but it was uh, it was worth my time, and I'm I am feeling better today. Although I'm still a little raspy, uh, but but all good. I feel like it was a, a good investment of my health. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Infinitely blessed for the protests. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. Agree. Hey, how are you feeling? Are you are you back on the horse? I'm feeling better. Yep. Uh, I too, Stefan, was sick last week. So you are luckily catching us both on the other <laughs> side of that. But I'm feeling better. Uh, definitely getting my feet back. Was so excited to see the huge win for Hidden Figures last night at the SAG Awards yes. for oh Best goodness. Ensemble. So exciting. Yes, yes. How fantastic. Fantastic was that. If you haven't watched our dear listeners, Taraji P. Henson's fantastic speech at the SAG Awards about unity and about these women being hidden figures no more, I highly recommend. It's just such an empowering and We tweeted to watch. it. So just we head did. to our Twitter, Admiral <laughs> Hopper, and you can watch uh, you can watch part of her speech. That's right. Um, it's such a great speech. It's such a great movie. It's hit over a hundred million dollars at the box office, which is insane i mean it's not i knew it would because it's an amazing movie have you seen it stefan I know I intend to see it this weekend. Oh, oh you wonderful. must see can't it. Wait. I yes. can't wait. I'm really you would excited. not think a movie about mathematicians would put you on the edge of your seat, but I trust you. <laughs> trust me. Uh, you will be on the edge of, of your seat. Also, you're going to cry, so bring some tissues. <laughs> math, math, math has made me cry as well, so that's good right? to know. Oh, I mean, they talk about that. Euler's equation, so like you're going to cry. It's wow. amazing. I love hearing that math has made you cry, Stefan. 
the first <laughs> the first time that Euler's equation has been in a movie. That's what I can say. I'm betting that right. That's, that's probably a trivia. <laughs> you know. And to have seriously to have a black woman at a chalkboard on a ladder, no less, talking about Euler's equations and how it you know can connect parabolic curves. It was just, it was amazing. And you're you're gonna love it. Bring your favorite chalk holder. It's gonna it's gonna inspire. <laughs> well, there's been a lot of stuff on Twitter, particularly with everything that's going on in our country right now. And it was great to find this Scientific American republished this mm-hmm. report that they did on how diversity empowers science and innovation. Uh, this was their State of the World Science Report from 2014. We will also tweet this at Admiral mm-hmm. Hopper because there's just, Christina, right, there's so much in here when you Scroll well, down. I mean, it's, it's particularly relevant right now in the face of the travel ban and the Muslim ban because yep. there are now all of these stories coming out on social media of Iranian and and other you know uh, nationalities of scientists and doctors being turned away from labs that were supposed to be working on research, going to graduate school, finishing up PhDs. One student was going to start at MIT to be an engineer. Um, doctors being turned away from the Cleveland Clinic, like this. Is is, this is a huge loss for us as a scientific community. Uh, and what was particularly interesting, you know, if you're a fan of this podcast, you know our stance on diversity from the beginning. Um, and, and this is why we talk a lot about gender diversity, but it's also relevant in the face of the, the Muslim ban to talk about, um, you know, race and nationality and just sort of difference of background. There's these two great uh, stories in the Scientific American uh, Roundup. One of them is called Point of View Affects How Science is Done. And it talks about gender and cultural influence and how they influence what research is even pursued. And there's another one uh, saying scientists draw on personal experience to guide their curiosity and how a researcher's background can determine their mission. And and it's such a huge loss to us to to miss out on these scientists and on these researchers uh, simply because of something that that is um, so a, a blanket pronouncement of, of who they are, what they stand for, and what value they could bring to America and positioning this as, you know, a security thing. It's it's security theater. Um, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm putting a stake in the ground that this is completely ridiculous and it's going to hurt us in the long run. Yeah, no, it's funny because um, the, the, it was an Iranian doctor that pretty much saved my life, a surgeon. He was one of few surgeons really? in, in, the, in the United States that was able to do a very specific procedure because of his training. I, don't, wow. I won't get into it. But thank you, Dr. Gaduri, for saving mm. my life, you know. Um, oh my gosh! It's, it's and so saved many lives. You saved many uh, lives. Absolutely, in this absolutely. Sure Thank you, Dr. Kadiri, and and so many doctors and so many scientists whose work we need so badly. <laughs> absolutely. So we still don't have a cure for many diseases out there, and it's going to take scientific breakthroughs from everybody, and we don't know where it's going to come from. It absolutely, absolutely is. Well, there was also VentureBeat published something today on. Uh, outlining all of the tech innovation and the tech companies that wouldn't exist without Iranians uh, in in the tech world. There's actually a huge Iranian population, Iranian-American population in the tech world. Um, and, you know, really, really big companies that are now driving, I mean, Google and uh, among them are driving our economy now were based on work of Iranian Americans. And, and the point of Steve Jobs was the son of a Syrian uh, immigrant. Like, 
Uh, it's just it's so short sighted um, and and frustrating on many levels and uh, potentially even you know unconstitutional, which is which is what I'm out there protesting for and fighting for. So um, grateful to see Scientific American and uh, the scientific community really standing up. We know there's a scientist march on Washington coming up as well. Um, Emily Grassley uh, from one of our earlier episodes has been tweeting out uh, information about that as well. So very excited to see the scientific community standing up for this as you know the arts community and many others have as well. The SAG Awards, I'm sure you saw Kate, basically mm-hmm. every speech yes. um, was, was in protest. So. Yes, there were so many fantastic ones. We'll tweet a couple of more that are particularly relevant. Um, I am so dying to get into Stefan's story. Yes. Before we do that, we, in true show form, are going to just quickly discuss an article that, Christina, you found that's really, really interesting. Tell us about it. I did. Um, and we will we will tweet this out. You need to read the whole thing and see the visuals. It's so beautiful. It basically is from uh, Wired. It was posted on my page by one of my friends uh, that says, what happens when algorithms design a concert hall? And it is uh, the pictures of this main concert hall in Hamburg that was recently opened that was designed with the help of algorithms. And it looks nothing like what you imagine a traditional concert hall to be. For one thing, the audience is seated in the round, but you're thinking like Shakespeare, not like that in the round. <laughs> this is like, I don't know, like Death Star. Like I mean, amoeba it's, it's, almost. Right? It's like... That's so an M.C. Escher. It looks like an M.C. Yes. There it is. Escher. A real-life yeah. M.C. Escher. Absolutely. Uh, it's exactly it. So the, the audience is surrounding the performers. It's sort of in these little clusters and blurbs, but, but that's only a part of it. If you look up close at the texture of the walls, you'll also see it almost looks like someone took a seashell and just pressed into, you know, cement or some sort of, you know, surface covering that this almost like a fractal pattern. And the whole thing is informed by these algorithms based on acoustical engineering that basically just designs this ideal setting, which I find fascinating and i was gonna ask stefan we know you're off to a performance tonight after you get off the air with us yes uh what would you think about performing in a space like this is this cool and exciting or is this terrifying (laughs) no you have no idea (laughs) how much i would i've paid to perform in that place wow yeah i mean like it's clearly i could tell that it's designed on how sound waves um, is reflected and refracted um, in three dimensions, I can, it just it just evokes that, and you know, as a physicist and a musician, that's where my head is at a lot of times. <laughs> Not when I'm playing all the time, but yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah. That is so, so cool. I know it really is extraordinary, just the visuals alone, not to mention the science behind it, and just seeing how much science can lead to this unexpected beauty. It's really incredible. Mm-hmm. So, Stefan, I want to start by the beginning of your TEDx talk that both Christina and I watched, because we've been talking about how math has made us cry. We've been talking about how important different backgrounds are. And your story just made me feel so many things. And that is about Daniel Kaplan, your high school physics teacher at DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx, that after one class, Mr. Kaplan encouraged you to pursue physics And in the same meeting, he gave you a copy of John Coltrane's Giant Steps, a fantastic 
album. The other thing I should mention that you mentioned is that DeWitt Clinton, at least at the time, had a 60% dropout rate. When did you realize how significant this meeting with your teacher and his confidence in you was? Um, a little bit later on that year, it was my sophomore year in high school, and I myself was a truant. I would try to, I would cut classes to, to, to play basketball, actually, like every other 16-year-old kid. Oh, really? <laughs> Michael Jordan was a, was a hero back then. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Even though I wasn't 6'6", he still fantasized about being, my, being Jordan. <laughs> um, but Kaplan was pretty slick. You know, he, um, he had a way of speaking to us that made us feel like, you know, he understood what it's like to be us because he did actually because he himself like myself you know um i'm a son of immigrants from trinidad mm-hmm. uh, kaplan himself is a son of um, of immigrants as well he just had that you know his body language the way he spoke it, it it came from a place of just realness you know and um so he understood he was like listen you know i i know that you um, you know you that you like to probably go play basketball after lunch but, you know, you can come to my office and hang out and talk about music and talk about um, Einstein's theory and things like that. He knew I, he sensed I was very inquisitive, but not in the usual classroom sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so much later on, yeah, we um, my high school had a um, Dewey Clinton High School. We formed a physics club. OK. And we went to, <laughs> we went to Scarsdale, New York, um, to Kaplan drove us one Saturday to um it was like four of us and drove us to this physics fair and competition and it was all these you know stuyvesant bronx signs like all the mm-hmm. scarsdale high all these high schools that were hunter high school oh yeah and and, and clinton we obviously came in dead last <laughs> <laughs> but we saw but it was what it was really about was kaplan spending this time with us Mm-hmm. And like he understood that, you know, he had his family, he had his life, and he took that time to hang with us. And, went, and then he took us out to have lunch, and we came in dead last, and he celebrated with us, right? <laughs> Coming oh, in. that's he, awesome. And we were like eating, the, you know, like he said, get, a, get whatever you want for lunch. So we, everybody got this huge hamburger, and we were just <laughs> paying no attention and just eating this hamburger with ketchup coming out of it and everything. And then he says to us, what is the most important thing in life? And let me also say, at that time, Kaplan, we didn't know, but he was actually, he was terminally ill, but we didn't know that. Oh, wow. Um, so he looked at us and he said, what is the most important thing in, in life? And what the, we're just trying to eat this hamburger, like, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, we gave various answers, you know, making money, driving a Ferrari, da 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 Michael Jordan. Yeah. And, uh, right? The answers of typical 16-year-old boys. Right. Well, some answers that we didn't want to reveal to him. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And he goes, well, all of those things are fine. But he said the most important thing is whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter. You can be a janitor. You can be whatever. Let it be your bliss and be the very best at it. And he was very serious. Very mm. serious when he said that. Wow. And that freed me up in a lot of ways. It was that, hmm. you know, freed me up like, wow, it's actually it's kind of okay to be to 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 maybe think about be, becoming a scientist and because it, it didn't fit in with like what I you know, with the Michael Jones. I mean part of why it was okay to be Michael Jones because that's pretty much what you know, that's what we saw, you know, as as young black men. Yeah. Um, you know, as models of success or rappers or thugs. Um, so, you know, it's sort of a socially acceptable, right? And so to be an Einstein or try to become like, you know, something that I didn't look like, 
he freed me up to say, oh, whatever it is, let it be a bliss, let it be a passion, and try to be the very best at it. And it doesn't matter. As long as you're doing that, that is what's the important thing. I wasn't able to sort of intellectualize it that way, mm-hmm. but it certainly made me, it certainly liberated me to sort of say, you know, okay, I'm just going to continue reading about physics and comic books and yada, yada, yada. Wow. That's awesome. Okay, so you began playing piano at eight, but then you moved over to saxophone later. Was that a move inspired by discovering jazz? Like, did you start out as a classically trained pianist? I did start off as um, as a classically trained pianist. You know, it's interesting because a few years into doing piano, having piano lessons, rap music, you know, was very popular in the Bronx. Yeah. We're talking about, we're talking about the mid-80s now. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's the kind of stuff I liked hearing, and yeah. I stopped being interested in, in the classical stuff. But then my father, my, who was a sax, a, a saxophone lover, but he listened to like really corny, cheesy, you know, <laughs> um, romantic, G. yeah, Kenny G type <laughs> stuff. I mean, no, no, I got I got a lot of love for Kenny G, by the way. He's got a beautiful <laughs> sound, okay. Um, but we got to pick on somebody. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he got a saxophone for me as. A, the story was, you know, he there was a garage sale he ran into, he and my mother ran into, and it was Tim Toffel for the New York Mets. The year they won, actually, the World Series it was 86, I believe. Wow. And um, Tim Toffel's wife was getting rid of this horn. She bought it for him, and he never played it. So she sold it for $15. I got that as a present. And so I had a saxophone, but I was just playing around with it. It wasn't really a, like an instrument. It was more like a toy. Mm-hmm. But it was after Mr. Kaplan introduced me to, um, you know, to John Coltrane's music that I said, wow, I, I would like to try to do that on, on my saxophone. Obviously, I still can't do that, but <laughs> this got me started. It's incredible. I read somewhere, too, that your grandmother had originally gotten you into playing the piano, that she saw music as sort of a way for you to make your way in the world. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah. how did she feel when you said to her, "I think physics is what I'm going to pursue"? Um, well, you know, my my family still don't know what I do. <laughs> I, mean, I totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, my grandmother did. You know, she dreamt of me becoming a Broadway musician, a, a pianist, and in, in, in Broadway shows. Wow. Um, because, you know, Caribbean immigrants, you know, one mode for economic success, you know, um, at least in her generation, was music, and all sorts of music. A lot of Caribbean people, a lot of Caribbean names behind that, right? Grandmaster Flash, DJ Cool Herc, they were all, you know, all these guys were Caribbean people. Yeah, yeah. Um, Fife Dog, the late Fife Dog from Tribe Called Quest. That's he's, so cool. He's Trinidadian, like me. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, so that made, you know, that made sense. But later on in college, she accepted that I was, you know, forever going to be a scientist. But when I would come back to see her in the Bronx, I would like, you know, play the saxophone. I'd play gospel hymns for her that she loved. Mm. So, you know, even though I didn't become a Broadway musician, I brought Broadway to her living room. You know what I love oh. about this story? You often hear it the other way around. I right? was going to say that's so true. <laughs> like... I can't be a professional musician, Grandma. I'm going to be a scientist. But I promise I'll still play for you. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast, 
I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Limit Does Not Exist with Christina Wallace and Kate Scott Campbell. You say in the video, uh, we dug up a video you did for Wired. Um, We did a lot of research on you in case it wasn't clear. Uh, (laughs) In this great video, you said there's a lot of parallels between jazz improvisation and how theoretical physicists come up with ideas, particularly in quantum physics, which is where you work. So Mm -hmm. a jazz musician will consider many possible notes similar to how a quantum particle will consider all possible paths between point A and point B. Can you tell us a little bit more about how playing the jazz saxophone informed your work in theoretical physics and maybe vice versa? I will try my best. Um, (laughs) You know, I definitely try doing doing that in my book, but, you know, and I, after writing the book, I'm like, I still, I'm trying to figure out what that is, but I, I can say a few things. Um, And I think it's a wide open space and I encourage, you know, people, especially young people who are thinking of, getting into physics, science, and music, and all that stuff, you know, that's why I really love the idea, I love this podcast, love what you guys are doing, by the way. Thank you. So powerful. And there's so much uncharted terrain, you know, I think I, you know, definitely scratched the surface, so much more to be done there, right? But one interesting thing I found as a person that's forever going to be a student of of jazz improvisation, Hmm. it will never end, right? It's a and also, yeah. likewise, in, in, in the sciences, there's so much we don't know. That's why I think it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of interesting. Now that we feel that we've mastered or we think we've mastered like the sort of um, integrated circuits to the point where we can control the electron to make Twitter work, we think, we, we think we've mastered the universe. There is so much we don't know. <laughs> so much stuff that's gonna, that can unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to render like those technologies to be like the stone ages. Um, mm-hmm. just, you know, just the same way, the same way the tape recorder <laughs> is very different from the, I, from, from the iPod. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my, my point is that like, um, one of the things that I find to be interesting is that in improvising and learn in, in real time, like if I'm improvising, I'm playing a jazz song, which I, well, I'll be, I'll be doing in the next, I don't know, hour from now. Um, <laughs> In real time, you know, you you have to, the stuff is going so fast mm-hmm. that you really cannot discursively think, okay? 
you can try to every time I've tried to do that about you know try to think what note to play next you know a millisecond goes by and by the time I think about it that time is gone so yeah. in a lot of ways the decision making that goes on go it's beyond thought it is beyond thought how that happens I find it's very similar to how nature makes decisions in a quantum world mm. you know when a quantum particle is going from point to point B there is a quantum computation that the universe is doing it takes record of all possible configurations right it checks everything <laughs> while that particle is going from point A to point B Richard Feynman taught us that right mm-hmm. um, so when I say it considers all possible paths, the universe is doing this quantum computation, uh, like this amazing supercomputer computation, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and the electron just knows to go from point A to point B. So it's, it's sort of like this weird thing I find that jazz improvisation is you're experiencing that, mm-hmm. you know? Whereas like if you are just sitting down and like maybe thinking about quantum mechanics or writing some equations, that's different, right? Or teaching a class in quantum mechanics, which is what I do a lot. Mm-hmm. It's very different than actually, you become that electron in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You become that quantum particle when you're improvising. And so for me, you know, it, now I'm being, I'm kind of being metaphorical here, but it's like this mm-hmm. strange kind of meta- metaphor that is almost exact, but I sort of feel like when I'm improvising, I am becoming this quantum thing. And at the very least, if it inspires me, to, to, to actually think about my research in new ways, to bravely have thoughts um, about my research that I would normally censor for myself. You know, people like mm-hmm. to say, I want to think outside the box. Well, I don't care. Like, sometimes I feel like I'm a very, you know, I encourage myself to really think the craziest thought. But I actually, I think subconsciously, I just censor myself. Mm-hmm. I think playing jazz music naturally just knocks me out of that self-censorship. And I, I don't think it's only to do with jazz. I think being, an, being a painter could do that. Being a dancer could do that, which is what I think is so powerful about your podcast. So anyway, that's kind of the, the, the little I can say. I can go on and on and on and on to the break of dawn about that. Oh, know, my but. gosh. Totally. Stefan, I really, really get what you're talking about. I, first of all, I love this idea that the universe is improvising, like it like is playing jazz. <laughs> I love that. But I really connect to what you're talking about, about that feeling of being, you know, in front of thought almost. You're just sort of in it, being in the zone. Uh, I really yes. relate to that as a performer and as an improviser uh, of, of comedy and on the stage as well, that sort of place where you're just flowing. I think that's one of the reasons I love jazz so much. And I love hearing about how you have worked on physics in jazz clubs and how that has helped you, I'm sure because of what you're talking about, take intuitive leaps that would lead you to solve problems. Can you give us an example of that, of having a, a light bulb come on in a jazz club or while listening to jazz? Well, the most memorable one for me, um, and I go into detail in, in my book, is um, I was at a jazz club in Paris. Where this is when I was a postdoctoral researcher um, in London. We went to, there was a three-month workshop, and I was so intimidated by the degree of technical superiority of my European counterparts. Actually, speaking to which, right, I, I you know, a lot of Americans, we do the same way um, like people from other countries do their scientific training, very important scientific training and make important scientific and medical contributions 
to us. We also do scientific training. So I did three years of my scientific training in Europe, um, right around the time when the EU formed. This was the year 2000. Um, anyway, so part of this network, there was um, uh, um, uh, something called the RTN network, where all theoretical physicists from all the EU nations um, would gather from time to time and spend months together in a very intense kind of research type of situation. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I was very intimidated. I, I had just gotten to London, mm -hmm. and boom, I'm in Paris for this, um, at the Henry Poincaré Institute at École Normale Supérieure. And anyway, I got so intimidated, um, I really felt like an outsider. Um, these guys, it was a string theory um, workshop, M-theory mm -hmm. workshop, and these cats were doing like, insane like math that i never dreamt i mean like was never exposed to wow um but you know Amer I, you know i would like to think that american physicists we we have different we have different sorts of training right 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 <laughs> so like yeah we um you know i call it baseball physics you know um <laughs> i love so. that so you did you like find solace in a jazz club or think i've got to i've got to yeah, find my so own way in so basically, I just, you know, what, yeah, what it was, I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to opt out of these um, these particular lectures and things like that. And I would just um, go hang out at the jazz clubs. But I would bring my physics work, um, my ideas I was working on in these jazz clubs. I would be writing like equations on napkins and, you know, be drinking wine, very cheap um, red wine. And, <laughs> this sounds you know, and awesome. Then in, in, between, in between that, I'd go and sit into some sessions and then come back, and this would be happening to way in, into the morning time, right? Um, and then one time, after doing a solo, I came, I sat down, and um, some other cats were playing, and then the audience started clapping. Hmm. And the thing I was working on had to do with um, objects in string theory called D-brains, which are sort of like membrane-like objects that are microscopic. Mm -hmm. And I conflated the clapping with the clapping motions of the, of the audience, it, it was like one of these, like, it just happened right there in the moment. Wow. You know, just like mm -hmm. a thousand proposition with these D brains basically colliding with each other and realized that that might be an uh, insight into figuring out a piece of the Big Bang theory um, called cosmic inflation and how string theory could actually say something new about the onset of cosmic inflation. And it turned out months later, after the calculation was done, a very in, you know, involved string theory calculation, that the idea was right, and it, it was it became probably my most famous paper. It has over oh my 200 citations, and I think it's responsible for getting me tenure at, um, at Brown. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And those audience members are just thinking they're enjoying, you know, a night out <laughs> at a jazz club, and they're helping solve this part of the Big Bang Theory. It's incredible. This is amazing. I feel, I mean, I can see this, like, scene in a movie straight yes. up. I, maybe now the, the success of Hidden Figures, we can get a few more science and math movies made uh i i feel like your story could be a good contender stefan absolutely well yeah, just got denzel to play the play you know, <laughs> i can also see Deal. that so okay so you mentioned that um and one of the things that we stalked you on slash researched you on um you you didn't mention your music interests to your physics colleagues right away and that was something that you didn't open up onto really publicly until later on. Why was that? And when did you feel like it was okay to actually start talking about your music life and you know the, this this other world that you you know exist in simultaneously to your physics community? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, like um, 
there were certain physics friends I had, definitely not the physics community, but people uh, that appreciated me for who I was. And so, and, and usually a, bit, a lot of them were also physicists that loved music. Uh, my PhD advisor was one of them. I, I talked about him, Leon Cooper, the mm-hmm. Nobel laureate that um, became my, um, my first PhD advisor. But yeah, I definitely, you know, I'm going to get personal. I grew up poor and um, there was this like, so even amongst poor people, my mother, for some time, my mother ended up becoming like an emergency room nurse. I'm very proud of that. Um, But, you know, while there was a time where she was raising all of us, all um, five of us at the time, and, you know, we were on food stamps. And I remember we going up in terror to the supermarket and have to, you know, because I was the eldest to buy stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was so ashamed to present these food stamps, you know? Wow. Um, so the thing I find interesting about that is that I think part of it is that, you know, my own, my own shortcomings is that, which was that I would get, I got, I used to get embarrassed and I had, I had this hypersensitivity about whether of like, you know, whether, Maybe people liked me or not. Oprah Winfrey called the please disease kind of thing. <laughs> you know, a little bit of psychotherapy is just starting mm-hmm. to help me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think that I, I, I was certainly um, sensitive about whether or not my colleagues took me seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I was hypersensitive about, not hypersensitive, but definitely I had some kind of awareness or some people, the scientific, the stereotype threat as mm-hmm. to whether or not People thought I I was really good, or I you know I was an affirmative action, you know all this stuff, right? Yeah, when, you're, yeah. when, you're, when you're just different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, not traditional in a particular field. I'm certain that Eminem must have thought that when he was trying to be like you know a, a great rapper, <laughs> and that's been completely annihilated. Now that he's one of the greatest ever. Yeah, but so the point, true. The, the point is though, um, that was definitely the case, and I felt like, oh look at this, I'm play. If I put that out there too much. Yeah, it just um, confirms maybe people's suspicion that I'm, uh, you know, I'm not serious. Let's say, you know, here I am, like, you know, I should be working on my physics, like, um, and I'm in jazz clubs playing while everybody else is just, you know, locked locked in some cubicle doing calculations, and I'm there doing what have you, and and he's not even that, you know, well trained, let's say, as we are. So I just kind of like didn't really want to like put it out there. Um, mm. And again, this is not to give any kind of sob story. It was just where mm-hmm. I was at in my maturity. And, you know, but I think after I started to, you know, become more and more published and and certainly after, you know, earning tenure and all that stuff, and I, I started mm-hmm. to get more confidence. Actually, also the other thing, too, is that I quickly realized that people just start to, people knew that anyway, right? <laughs> people mm. start talking about it. Right, right. It's so great to hear that, Stefan, because, you know, you were able to continually through your work gain confidence. You know, this is certainly a show that's called The Limit Does Not Exist, hearing about how you gradually overcame that. We have a lot of listeners who are interested in pursuing things that from the outside seem to be unrelated, like physics and jazz, and are Mm -hmm. also trying to navigate maybe being an outsider 
outsider in their field mm-hmm. because their backgrounds look like they should go a certain way and dealing mm-hmm. with that feeling of imposter syndrome. What's mm-hmm. your best piece of advice about how somebody can go about reconciling two things that may not be unrelated and, and have the confidence to, to forge this uncharted path? Yeah, great. And I thought, I'm so glad this is being made explicit. I think that the first thing is that um, unbeknownst to me and throughout my whole career, like, you know, we celebrate and we teach and, I, you know, I, you learn all these great, these great ideas in science, all these great breakthroughs. But when you go, when you actually look, at, look, look into the personal histories, mm-hmm, the personal mm-hmm. stories of how those ideas came about, some of these breakthroughs did come actually exactly from people combining two completely unrelated things and unrelated <laughs> fields, right? Yeah. Look at neural networks. I, like, you know, something I know that Google is investing a lot, lot into, um, neural networks, right? The mm-hmm. idea that you, you can, like, you know, model new, neural circuitries with these sets of equations and algorithms, right? Yeah. I mean, the neural network idea, you know, was inspired by the quantum mechanics of spin magnetism, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You know, J.J. Um, Hopfield, like, you know, used the, you know, the ideas and mathematics of how, of the quantum mechanics of spin and ferro and magnetism mm-hmm. and apply that to ne- uh, neural circuitry. But also, like, you know, if you look at, like, M.C. Um, Escher, the mm-hmm. artist, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he, he and Roger Penrose, the mathematician, a mathematical yeah. physicist, right? They, they spoke a lot to each other, right? And look at M.C. Escher's, um, like, work. Mm-hmm. So and it, so it goes in both directions. Yeah. And so I, 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 def, I mean, I think the future of science and and artistic inspiration and development is gonna come from an from an explicit and intentional engagement of these disparate, you know, um, of disparate fields. Oh, that's so cool to hear. That is so cool to hear. I'm like literally typing this out as you say it. It's like, <laughs> yes. yes. So much yeah. all of the yes. Yes, that that fusing unrelated things really is becoming and will continue to be the way. Speaking of the way, you have to be on your way in five minutes to your performance. Truth. So we are going to throw down the lightning round. So we're going to ask you five very quick questions. Mm -hmm. And the entire point of the lightning round, you haven't seen these yet. Uh, These are supposed to be just the first answer off the top of your head. You don't have to explain it or defend it. And we will not ask follow-up questions. Are you ready? I'm I'm ready. Okay, Stefan, what are you reading right now? (laughs) Okay, one of the things I am reading is um, a book called Miles on Miles. Okay. Okay. It's a, uh, it's a book, basically um, interviews um, with Miles Davis. So it's Ooh. you know it's things that Miles Davis said in interviews, and it's really deep and funny because <laughs> that guy was a character. I nice. Flamenco Sketches is one of my all-time favorites. I am going to read that book. That's fantastic. Other than jazz and physics, what else is in your personal Venn diagram? Um. Knitting. Knitting. Really? Now that's an insightful answer. That is. I feel like I awesome. know better now, Stefan. It's not theory. It's very high level mathematics. I was it going is. to say it's I can true. I can really really see that. <laughs> what album is your top pick for a great introduction to jazz? Someone who doesn't know anything about jazz, what should they listen to first? I'm going to avoid the typical answer, but I would say 
Wayne Shorter's album, Juju, J-U-J-U. It is bad, and it's so lyrical. Oh. What's the typical answer? Miles Davis, Kind of Blue. I mm-hmm. thought you were going to say mm-hmm. that. That was my first jazz album. Love it. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm asking follow-up questions. Okay. Um, <laughs> give us a shout-out for a woman doing awesome things in physics or in jazz. Your choice. We like to give shout-outs for, uh, for women who are maybe a little bit under the radar but doing really cool things in our fields. Well, I'm going to give a shout-out to a woman in jazz – and her name is, she's uh, up and coming and brilliant. And watch out for her. Her name is Maria Grand. Um, okay. She is a new, and based in New York. And she is a tenor sax player. And she is bad. Ooh. Very original voice. Maria Grand. Oh, I love that. What's something that people don't know about you? Other than the fact that you knit. I'm becoming a, a big fan of Eastern philosophy. Really? Yeah. Yes. How did you a, get introduced? That was a follow-up question. Two-second long. How did you get introduced to it? I got introduced to it by a friend of mine when I was in grad school. We, we used to philosophize a lot. He goes, yeah, my mother had, gave me this book and that she referred to when she was in grad school. And we started reading it. And it was a book about Buddhism and meditation and Eastern philosophy. And like, it's, I just think it's a very interesting compliment to um, some of the problems that I think about in theoretical physics and cosmology. Hmm. That is so cool. That's so it's cool. It's mind-bending stuff, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, I believe it. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling so inspired. Well, Stefan, the time is nigh for you to get to the stage. Your concert's starting now, I think. Uh, we're going to send you off to go tear it up on stage. Thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. Yes, thank was my- you. This was so much fun. It was an honor and a true pleasure, and you know I wish there was more time. Always, absolutely, <laughs> always. Well, this is just the beginning. Uh, definitely, we will link to all of your great stuff, including your book, in our show notes, so listeners can check out all that you're up to. And uh, what do they say in music? They don't say break a leg, do they? What do they say for a show? Well, what do they say for jazz? I feel jazz. like I mean, opera says toy, 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 and but dance says mare. We sometimes say it's it's time to hit. Ooh. Oh, I like it. Oh, I it's love time to that. Hit, Stefan. <laughs> Thanks so much, Wish Stefan. Me luck. Wish me luck. I'm nervous. Good luck. Good luck. You hit got it. This.
Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 